Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome everyone again, if you've just joined us. Um, we're going to have a look at John chapter 3, so have that open. Uh, to start, I just want you to think about uh, what are the most important events in your life that you celebrate, that you commemorate. So have a think about it in your mind. What are the most important events for you? Uh, you most obviously birthdays. Uh, uh, birthdays are a time to sort of reflect and give thanks for sustaining us year in, year out. Who's a big, like who's a big birthday celebrator who loves kind of throwing a big party? Joe and, and Taya, two people in our congregation. Yeah, I'm like most of us. I'm not. A, I don't like to make a huge deal of birthdays. For me, just grab Indian food, have a nap. That's my bike. Like, so that's the idol birthday. Um, but you might be a big birthday celebrator, and that's fine. <laughs> There's also commemorations. Um, so people who uh, loved ones who are no longer with us and using specific times in the year to sort of grieve and remember and reflect in a particular way. And so for some people, um, that's a, a special important event. Uh, you've got Christians, you know, where every week we want to say it's important, but there's like Christmas and Easter. We sort of elevate sort of next level. We put a little bit more effort into those times of the year. Um, one event, though, that at least on the surface gets the most recognition 
is the birth of a new baby. Now, if you're on like social media, for example, um, you'll just notice that like if I post a picture of my lawn, I'll get like one like, it's my wife, <laughs> sympathy. Um, but when a new baby is born, we're talking like tens, fifties, hundreds of likes. And I think that's a rightness to that because in the birth of a baby, there's this miraculous thing just came out and it's got arms, it's got legs, it's got a face. And all of a sudden you have this breathing um, being in front of you. Um, John 3, I think, sort of recognises a similar thing today. Because John 3 wants to say, actually, the most important event that could happen in the life of an individual is the new birth. And not, not a physical new birth, but actually to be spiritually born again is the single most important event for anyone here and anyone listening. It's the moment when a person enters eternal life for the very first time. It's that moment where they see and they are forgiven and they meet God in that very moment, the new birth. And so this is so important for us to understand and to appreciate this new birth that John 3 speaks about today. So I'm going to ask for God's help as we come to this very important text of the scriptures. Father, we thank you for uh, bringing us together today to hear about the new birth so would you speak to us from outside of us so that we may know and hear the words of eternal life? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if we've uh, just joined us, we're sort of, we're, we're working our way through John's gospel, and today feels like a bit of a, a camera shift. So, so far in John's gospel, the camera has been very much on how big Jesus is. He's the word, he's come down, he's performed miracles, turning the water to wine, he's cleared out the temple. And now the camera sort of turns as Jesus now meets different people and has conversations with them to figure out what's going on in their hearts. And Nicodemus is that first person that he's going to meet in a series of conversations. And the big thing that Jesus is, again, he's going to speak about today is this thing called the new birth, the new birth. But before we actually come and have a look at the new birth, there's a bit of a roadblock in today's text, which we need to get around in order to appreciate the new birth. The roadblock is what seems to be the socially inappropriate attitude of Jesus. Now, I'll show you what I mean. If you come have a look at the text, what is it that we learn about Nicodemus? Okay, here's what we learn. Verse 1, chapter 3. He's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. So you have Nicodemus, highly religious, highly respected person in the community, comes to Jesus by night, we're not sure exactly why, and he says to Jesus, we know that you're from God because you're doing miraculous signs. So he says a very positive word to Jesus. Now, here's the socially inappropriate bit. Verse 3, what does Jesus do? Jesus answered him. Okay, do you see, it seems a little bit rude. I don't know if you picked it up, but if you think about it this way, a highly respected religious man comes to Jesus, pays a compliment to him, and Jesus, without even Nicodemus asking a question, Jesus answers him. 
Like if, if a highly respected member of our community came up to me and they said to me, Mike, we know you play for Manchester United because we've seen you play soccer and no one could play unless you came from Manchester United. Now, first of all, I would probably just let them continue that thought. All right. I wouldn't stop them. But secondly, I'd sort of wait for them to ask a question before giving them an answer. But Jesus says, stop, there's no question. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, you must be born again. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. What's going on here? It seems like Jesus is a little bit rude to Nicodemus. The key to this kind of what seems to be Jesus's rudeness is actually to recognize that Nicodemus's story doesn't begin in chapter three. It actually begins at the end of chapter two. So if you come back to the end of chapter two, which I thought Anna read quite well for us, um, Jesus has just performed um, two kind of significant signs. But then in verse 23, Jesus says, sorry, John says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man, Nicodemus. So you got to ignore the chapter three thing there because what's going on at the end of chapter two is that Jesus already knows what kind of a man Nicodemus is. He's a man who believed in him because of the signs. And because of that, Jesus knows that Nicodemus is not trustworthy. So before even Nicodemus can say a word, Jesus knows what's in his heart and he knows what's in our hearts. So he doesn't need to wait for an answer. He just says, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. All right, roadblock over. Let's have a look at the new birth. Verse three again. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, one of the very first things we learn about the new birth is that it comes from outside. It comes from the outside, not the inside. There's nothing that Nicodemus or you and I can contribute to the new birth. When you think about your own birth, how much did you contribute to your birth? Beverly says, not nothing, right? Yeah. If anyone did the work, it was your mum. Okay. Our mums did a lot of work. If anything, you and I made it more difficult than it needed to be. Okay. So Jesus says, it comes from the outside. Now, the way that Jesus shows us this, and this is a bit of a wordplay in the text, he shows this to Nicodemus with, that, with an ambiguous word. So if you see that word born again, that word again in the original language can be translated either again or above. So it's, a, it's an intentionally strange word. It could be mo it could be both things. And what happens in the conversation is that when Jesus says the word, what Nicodemus hears is he hears the word born again. And the whole conversation 
That's how Nicodemus understands the phrase, born again, physical rebirth. But what Jesus means is born above, born from above. So it's one of those conversations. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're on a just completely different wavelength to someone else? Most of my conversations. Um, okay. And so what's going on in the conversation is that this is what happens. The whole conversation, Jesus is saying, you need to be born from above. Nicodemus is going, I got to be born again physically. And that runs throughout the whole thing. So you'll see it there in verse uh, five. Jesus says, unless you are born of water and the spirit. It's a reference back to Ezekiel 36. Unless you're cleansed and washed by the spirit outside of you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus has come from heaven and he's descended in order to tell you about life from above. But Nicodemus, he's thinking born again. So what he says in there in verse four, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter back into the mother's womb? And even by verse nine, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? So the whole conversation, Jesus means one thing, but Nicodemus understands another. But Jesus's point is this, and he wants you to know that the new birth, spiritual new birth, comes from the work of the spirit. There's nothing we can do to bring it about in our life. And I was speaking to a man recently, and he's been a little bit discouraged in his prayer life because he has a teenage son, and his teenage son used to come willingly to church, but lately he's just shown signs of disinterest. He doesn't want to come not that interested in things about Jesus. And this man's also heard things like, you know, we don't need more prayers. We need action. We, didn't need, we don't need more prayers. We need education. But Jesus's words show that that's not true. If the new birth is completely a work from the spirit, if it's a completely new creation, you can't educate your way into the kingdom. You can't action your way into the kingdom. But the petitions of God's people to the one who can bring about the new birth, those are effective. Those are effective. So keep praying. Don't get fooled by the line that our prayers don't achieve anything. The second thing we learn about the new birth is that it's it's a brand new life. It's not just extra religious rules. It's not just extra religious rules. So you'll see again in verse three, I'm using verse three a lot. Do you notice that Jesus says the words, unless one is born again, what does he say? He cannot see the kingdom of God. And he parallels that in verse five, where he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that is, one of the distinguishing marks of the new birth is that you start to see things in a new light. You start to see things from God's perspective. I, I don't know if Matt Halani remembers this conversation, but I remember chatting to Matt and I asked Matt, hey, Matt, um, you know, what was life like for you before you became a Christian? Like, were you a drug dealer? And then all of a sudden you stopped dealing drugs? It's like dramatic change. Sometimes it's like that. But I remember Matt saying, it wasn't like I just dramatically changed my lifestyle and everything I did all of a sudden, but I did remember seeing things from a new perspective. And that's what the new birth is. We start to see our sin as not just hurting other people, but 
an insurmountable barrier to God. We start to see other people, not just as family and friends, but actually as sinners who need that same forgiveness. We even start to see things like money, not just as a thing to be used for my self-gain, but a resource for God's work in the world. Spiritual sight is one of the distinguishing marks of the new birth. And this passage actually has been really helpful for me this last two weeks because in my main role as a children's minister, I've been, um, there's one child in one of my ministries. I'm not going to say who he is, right? He's not in this congregation, so it doesn't matter. But I've just been finding this child incredibly difficult to manage discussion groups like we're doing a discussion group the other week and he's giving the other boys wedgies while we're talking about the bible passage and i was saying this kid is difficult but what i've noticed especially this year is that this particular boy has had moments where he's just been so desperately prayerful and desiring that his friends come to know jesus and join him in heaven and i'm thinking i know these wedgies they have to stop but I think this kid could be born again. He could be born again because he's starting to show signs of spiritual sight, seeing things from God's perspective. All right. Before we move on um, to the sort of the back end of the passage, I just wanted to answer uh, one sort of quite practical question, which comes out of verse eight. So kind of, as the conversation continues and Nicodemus doesn't quite get it, Jesus says these words in verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. We've just said that there are distinguishing markers of someone who was born again, spiritual sight. But verse eight also recognizes that like the wind, the work of God's spirit is also um, mysterious. So we don't know exactly where it comes from, where it goes. And so it is with everyone. We don't know exactly who will be born again and the exact timing of that conversion. So, for example, in our congregation, you might be someone who grew up in a Christian household. And you think about it, maybe now you can go, I'm a born again Christian. For you, that's very clear. But when you look back at your upbringing, you don't know the exact point when you became born again. Was it that moment when I first said, I want to follow Jesus? Well, my daughter's said those words and she's four. Is she born again? Maybe, maybe. Was it when you had a particular crisis moment and you cried out to God in that time? Was that when you were born again? Maybe. I think the point of verse eight is that there are markers that show us who is born again, but we don't know exactly when that is going to occur, when that is going to occur. But all it is to say is that if you have kids, every prayer and every Bible story, whether they're running under the table, or every family member or friend who just shows disinterest from the words of the gospel, because God knows when that new birth will happen, but we don't. It's actually an encouragement, not, not to not do anything, 
but actually to keep doing those things in the prayer and hope that God, by his spirit, chooses a particular point to work in their life. And that is an encouragement, I think, from verse 8. All right, uh, let's come to the back end of our passage. As you kind of get to chapter 3, verse 9, things start to get a bit discouraging for Nicodemus. So he says there in verse 9, how can these things be? Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel. Don't understand it. I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive it. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, if I tell you about entrance to the kingdom, earthly things about the new birth, how you get into the kingdom and you don't believe it, then how can I tell you things about the rest of the kingdom, heavenly things? Because you're not going to believe that either. So it's discouraging for Nicodemus and it raises the question for us, well, how can anyone be born again? If it comes from the outside, and we can kind of tell people who are born again, but the spirit kind of chooses to work when he wants, then is there anything that we can do to somehow contribute to the new birth? Now, I think if you were to try and answer that question for someone like if someone came up to you and they said that sounds great how can I be born again what kind of things would you say to that person well you might say you just need to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness you might say um, I'm you know turn to God stop living that way forgiveness is free you can have that today but do you notice that John doesn't use any of that language? He actually uses a really obscure reference from the Old Testament. So you'll see it there down in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from, sorry, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So how do you be born again? Well, you have to appreciate the serpent being lifted up in Numbers chapter 21. It's a very obscure, strange reference to go to in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the story, um, Israel are wandering in the desert. And as they usually do, they rebel against God. They complain against him. And in God's wrath, he sends physical snakes to bite them and they die. A number of them die. And so they plead with Moses, Moses, please help us. And what does God do? God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and hold it up. And the people who've been bitten, they are to look at the bronze serpent and they will live. And that's the end of the story. Like there's no extra commentary. They just have to look upon the bronze serpent and they will be healed of their snake bite. And what's that got to do with John chapter 3 and the new birth? Well, the point on one level is quite simple. Just as the dying people of Israel looked at the bronze serpent and were cured of their death, 
So to be born again, we need to look at the son of man who was lifted up at the cross to be healed of our eternal death sentence. And that's why he says there, the son of man must be lifted up just like the serpent in the wilderness. And on one level, it's quite simple because the only command there is to look, is to look. That's all you have to do is to look at the bronze serpent. And so John's point in chapter three is that to be born again is to look upon the crucified Messiah, the crucified son of man. He's saying, don't look to religion to get you into heaven. Look to the one who became a curse so that we might become the righteousness of God. Don't look at miraculous signs for proof of God's existence. Look at the one who was lifted up to turn away the anger of God. Don't look for slight improvements in your moral character. Look at the one who was on the cross who can give you a completely new birth, completely new birth. So the new birth is mysterious. It's the sovereign work of God's spirit. We can't control it like we can't control the wind. And yet, John says, there is a way to be born again, and that is to look at the crucified son of man who was lifted up on that hill, lifted up for our sins. So friends, I wonder for you, which is the most important event in your life? Do you see that from John chapter three, the most important event that could be for any of us or our children or our friends or our family is that they would experience the new birth, the spiritual new birth. It's not an optional extra for keen Christians. Every Christian, if you want to say, actually, I am going to be in heaven, then you must be born again. And so have you been born again? Have you actually looked at the Savior up on the cross? Have you turned to him and found forgiveness in the Son of Man? But also, if you're already a Christian, I wonder how much you believe that God is now still powerful to change you dramatically. There's one thing that I've noticed about my own life, and maybe you've noticed is that as you continue to go to church and live as a Christian, one of the things that gets easier to do is it gets easier to hide in the shadows. In particular, it gets easier to hide your sin and even hide your sin from your spouse and hide your sin from your family and your church community because every passing year and week that you hide those sins then to bring it to the light of Jesus will become even more painful. And can you imagine at this point that hidden sin, you went home this afternoon, if you brought up that sin to your spouse or to your friend or to your family, how would they react? So if you're a Christian, this passage is vitally important for us as well. Because do you believe that the power that can bring new birth 
is also the power that can change and transform us dramatically. And that there is just like the poison of sin, there is much healing and cure to happen when it gets brought to the light of Jesus. So if that's you today, um, I want you to pray about it. Maybe now is the time to bring that sin to the light of the cross and to bring that light to someone who you know cares for you but doesn't know about that particular sin just yet. Why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus in this text. We thank you that in your kindness and mercy, you have given us a way to experience the new birth. Father, we know that we cannot contribute to our new birth at all. So we plea with you now that you may work in each of us a revival, that for those of us who aren't yet viewers of the kingdom, we pray that you would help us to be reborn, that we may see Jesus for who he really is and that we may gain a new life eternal. Father, for the rest of us who belong to Jesus, who have been born again, we pray for the powerful work that has given new birth to work in our hearts, that you would bring our failings to the cross and to one another so we may find great healing through that very powerful work of your spirit. And we ask that you do these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.